Paz IM Radio with your co-hosts Robert Brining and Aaron Laxton. We go around the world and across the United States. Join in the conversation by calling in to 929-477-3572. That's 929-477-3572. This week, we have your HIV scoop with Josh Robbins and your positive message from Rise Up to HIV and Kevin Maloney. Your weekly dose of hope. Pause IM Radio. I hope you're ready for season two because it starts now. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Pause IM Radio. Coming to you from Philadelphia, Robert Brining here, my co-host in good old St. Louis, Aaron Laxton. Aaron, how are you? Good afternoon or good morning. And if you didn't remember to spring your clock forward, you're still an hour behind, yeah, right? So. <laughs> I definitely felt that this but morning. Yeah. You know, Sundays are kind of my sleep-in day, so I, it, I mean, I guess it does still feel kind of like noon, but uh, can't see a huge difference probably until tomorrow. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm glad that it happens on a Saturday into a Sunday and not a Sunday into a Monday <laughs> because waking right. up this morning, like I, I usually am up, to, you know, three, four o'clock in the morning for work during the week. So on the weekends I sleep in, but sleeping in to me is like seven, you know, eight o'clock. <laughs> and today when I woke up, it was 10 o'clock and I was just like, wow, I must've really needed it. So it, it felt good, but I definitely missed the hour. Mm-hmm when it came to getting prepared for, for the show today and making sure everything was in check. And, you know, I, I posted some of the, the episodes coming up uh, here on Blog Talk Radio so they can go and uh, check that, you know, if you're listening now on the page to see who's going to be coming up in the, for the rest of the month. But I was doing that, you know, this morning and just losing that hour of prep time for me to get myself situated kind of, you know, affected me a little bit. So, but we're here. We made it. We are here. Yeah, I- you know, we have some really amazing shows coming up. Actually, this week I was contacted by researchers um, from AIDS Clinical Trials Group um, located based out of Harvard, um, and they are very interested about coming on the show and talking about some of the latest and greatest research that is being done, um, and so we're going to get that scheduled as well. So I really, you know, I think that that's, uh, there's a lot of important things that need to be covered that maybe are not being covered. Right. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Yeah, let's definitely have that. I know we've been trying to also uh, hook up with uh, JD over the body. Um, So we have to try to reconnect with them because, you know, we love the people over the body.com. Which is where today's guest, you know, the blog is featured over at the body.com. Mark S. King will be returning today. will be his fifth time on the show. Uh, he's co-hosted a few times and actually, I believe, it was even our, our World AIDS Day uh, guest uh, one year um, for our special World AIDS Day show that we used to do. So I'm excited to have him on. Uh, you know, if you've ever met Mark in person, you know, he's just as uh, much of a handful as he is through his blog and his videos. Uh, he's just an amazing guy. And, you know, he just um, is a prime example of what an activist, you know, can be and how you know his impact is is amazing it's affecting so many people he's one of them you know he's an award-winning writer he has been featured in so many magazines and all over and he's even won a car on the price is right <laughs> you know back in the day which he just recently blogged about i saw um on his website uh markusking.com um you've met mark a few times haven't you oh yeah i i was actually just kind of chuckling to myself. Uh, the last time that I saw Mark, he was coming back from, uh, oh, I think, Man, uh, oh, down in Florida, Man Reach. And our flights, there was a problem with flights, so we were stranded uh, in the airport together. Uh, and so I think that's the last time I probably saw 
Mark in person. They're a huge hero uh, of mine, for sure. Yeah, he's definitely, uh, you know, one of the first people that I came across when I was looking for answers and trying to find other people who, you know, were like me, living with HIV and, and, and getting through it. And, you know, his story is amazing. His book, A Place Like This, um, you know, he's been on talking about that. I'm sure he'll mention that today. It's, it's, he's just an amazing man. And, uh, you know, he's definitely somebody, like you said, like a hero, somebody I, I look up to. So, um, let's talk about, uh, how, how's the weather over there? Cause I know we were, uh, talking last week and, uh, the week before about how nice it was. And then last week it was cold and now they're calling for like a big snow nor'easter coming up, uh, the Northeast here. Um, here in my robe in Philadelphia, freezing. So I'm just curious if you're doing the same in St. Louis. So the, the weather yesterday was 29, and we were supposed to get a whole bunch of snow. Uh, we didn't get that much snow, and then today it's 40s. And so it has been kind of going all. But last week it was in the 70s. So we're we're really not sure what's going on around here, uh, other than <laughs> the weather just is so confusing yeah it's definitely uh been a pain you know uh, one minute we think we're going to be slow at work and then you know the snow doesn't come until later and then we're busy i mean friday we were so busy at work and short-staffed and because the snow here friday so mm-hmm. now they're calling for a, a big storm on tuesday monday night into tuesday you know and as i, I talked about last week i i got a new car and, and it's not an suv and i'm kind of a little hesitant to be in the snowstorm with, you know, eight to 12 inches of snow. You know, in the SUV, Mm -hmm. I told you earlier, you're sitting up higher. And in the car, you know, my car's a little bit lower in the front, so I have to worry about that mound of snow that seems to pile up in the middle of the road when people are driving down. Because, you know, a lot of cars that are lower will get caught on that. So I guess we'll Mm -hmm. find out on Tuesday. (laughs) Maybe we'll be closed. We don't. You'll have to be sure to take video and, and pictures, but not while you're driving, because that's unsafe. But when you're yes, stopped. Yeah. That's when I'm stopping screaming at my car because it's stuck. <laughs> yeah, but, I, um, I do that as well. I, so. I know uh, last week you were a little under the weather. Um, I'm not sure how much you want to touch about it, but I was just curious uh, how you're feeling now. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm feeling better. Thank you. Uh, I have people reach out to me kind of asking. Uh, you know, kind of how I was doing, and I've been under the weather. Um, we're not really sure what's kind of going on, uh, other than my CD4 count dropped from, you know, I've been holding steady at 1,200, basically since uh, I was diagnosed. I started it on treatment within four weeks of diagnosis. Um, and so this is actually the lowest my CD4 count has been um, since I was diagnosed. So it, it took like wow. a 500 point nosedive, uh, and the last couple of months I've been detectable. So you know, three months of of that, they kind of uh, start considering like um, drug failure. So we're not really sure, uh, you know. So I've been kind of they've been exploring like all of my nutritional stuff because I have been on a vegetarian vegan diet since August of last year. Um, which has caused me to lose a lot of weight. Um, so, yeah, we're just not sure. Uh, I, it's probably the first time since my diagnosis that I've really been concerned. Um, mm-hmm. And and so, yeah, it's, uh, you know, luckily I have a good medical team. But as a result, um, you know, my health hasn't really just been all that great. I'm feeling a lot better now. Uh, but, yeah, last week I was really, I was on the struggle bus. <laughs> I can't believe that your T cells um have stayed around twelve hundred since your diagnosis. That's incredible. Yeah. They um uh, I became undetectable within like six weeks of starting meds. And then um, you know, through the years I've changed medications a couple of times. Right now I'm on Genvoya. Um it, you know, it could just be that Genvoya doesn't work as well as, you know, maybe some of the other medications I've been on. Um, and so, you know, there's all sorts of things we can look at. Some people are, you know, have better responses with different drug regimens that they're on. Um, and so right now I'm just making sure that I'm getting, 
you know, all the nutritional things that I that I need. Um, the doctor also said that I've been having a lot of hip pain. And so, you know, unfortunately, it looks like I have developed um, avascular necrosis in my hips. And and that's as a result of the uh, medications. Well, the cross between the medications and just people with HIV are at a higher incidence of developing, you know, bone issues. So, yeah, it's been one of those weeks, you know, where you just, you kind of, have it all thrown at you. Yeah, I hear you. It's been one of those weeks. Well, hopefully this week coming up will be will be a better week, and um, you know, I I hope everything goes well with the test or whatever they find out. Hopefully, it's something that you know is minor that can be fixed. You know, that's the important part because we need you. <laughs> yeah, I think. I mean, I think it'll all be all work out well, and. You know, I think that I have options to go on different medications and things like that. So, I mean, just as long as we get to the bottom of kind of what's causing causing all of it, and you know, I will be I'll be like Elizabeth Warren, and I'm going to persist. A little political <laughs> statement there. <laughs> so, so is there anything new for this for this week? So, what the hell is he doing now? Oh my God, I don't even know. <laughs> you know, I. I saw, well, you know that Paul Ryan now is the lackey for the Republicans trying to get this health care through. Um, and I, I'm actually very interested because if you've been following Mark, you've been seeing um, graphics that are coming out that says make HIV AIDS again, right? And the one right. thing that I am missing a lot of is, you know, are people with HIV speaking up about what a loss of health care means for us, right? Because many people may or may not be aware that a lot of the Ryan White was rolled into the Affordable Care Act. And so with them dismantling that, what does that look like? So do we still have the Ryan White programming? Do we still have the ADAP wait list? Um, and so what that kind of look like? So this morning, Paul Ryan was on all of the news channels kind of trying to, you know, get people to, you know, buy hook, line, and sinker. But this week, uh, Trumpkin has pretty much stayed out of the, you know, he's sticking to his guns that the Obama administration had wiretapped his phones, um, and that's the amount of crazy that we had this week. Yeah, no proof. So, so with that, let's know. go on to some real. <laughs> let's move on to some real news this week and um, right. hang out with Josh Robbins for a second. This is your HIV scoop with Josh Robbins, exclusive for Pause I Am Radio. Buzzworthy HIV news in under ninety seconds. Here's Josh Robbins in this week's HIV scoop. Hey guys, what's up? This is Josh. All right, big news from the U equals U movement from Prevention Access Campaign. Age United has signed on to the consensus statement confirming that those living with HIV and reaching an undetectable viral load do not transmit HIV. We all know that. Now, if you're not keeping tally like me, maybe you should because that's over 120 partners from 20 countries that have signed the consensus statement from PAC. Now, I love this campaign. It's about damn time that we took control of our own narrative. People with AIDS are people, just people. But if through my work, I am able to save one life, to bring one family closer together in their time of need, then I will consider my work well done. All right, that was Diane Warwick some 30 years ago. She was one of the first celebrities to publicly offer her support for prevention and research to combat the HIV and AIDS epidemic. Well, last week, honoring Women's HIV Awareness Day, Miss Warwick is starring in a new PSA for ageisnotacondom.org. Love her and love that. 
Speaking of celebrities talking about HIV, Adam Lambert was recently on the red carpet at the Elton John Oscar viewing party. And besides helping to raise over $7 million for the foundation, he offered his support for the HIV community, saying we have to stand up and make sure that we dig our feet in the sand and stay strong, end quote. I'm Josh Robbins, and this was your HIV scoop. <laughs> there you have it. Thanks, Josh Moore. Of uh, Josh Robbins, you can go to imstilljosh.com. Um, God, every week he gets uh, a little more funnier every week with those little sound effects. <laughs> but, um, you know, yeah, he's big news about them adding on. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that Josh hit a milestone this week. 1.5 million minutes of his videos and uh, his online work have been viewed this week. So that was a pretty big milestone for Josh to hit. Um, uh, with all of his stuff being viewed out there on the world wide web. There you go. Congratulations, Josh. If I had some uh, sound effects right now, I'd be entering applause. <laughs> so um, let's go ahead and uh, let's go ahead and move over to today's guest. Today's guest is uh, Marcus King. His blog, My Fabulous Disease, my I can't even speak right now. My Fabulous Disease has been featured in many articles, websites, magazines all over the world. He's been on the show. Four times before, making his fifth appearance on the show today, Mark S. King. Welcome, Mark. How are you? Hey, Robert. Welcome. I mean, thank you so much. How are you? Good. Good. It's so good to connect with you and to hear your voice. It's been forever since I've spoken with you. You know, it has been a long time. It's nice to hear you, too. Um, I was uh, just watching Saturday Night Live last night, and it was Scarlett Johansson's fifth time to host Saturday Night Live, and they gave her oh, they wow. gave her a, a a lovely gift. Not that I'm expecting oh. anything. If this is my <laughs> fifth time on your show, is it really? I mean, that's a lot. Yeah. That's like Shelley Winters on Johnny Carson. That's a lot of times. You know, it's our I hope I'm not running out of material. <laughs> I, I guess I. You know, are you? <laughs> so yeah, thanks. It's it's great to be here. Aaron. Oh, I was just going to say you are definitely our favorite guest, Mark. It's been a while. I have not seen you since, uh, I think, Manreach when we were stranded in the airport uh, heading back home. So I oh, yeah. I carefully through all of your, uh, your writing and videos and, and web work. Um, it's, it's been too long. I, um, uh, are you going to um, AIDS Watch? Uh, I will not be an AIDS Watch. I was just actually with AIDS United down in Durham, and they wanted to bring me in because I'm doing a lot of the syringe access stuff, and unfortunately I have a big grant that is due the following week after AIDS Watch, so I'm mm. not going to be able to make it. But I, I It's, a, it's a busy time sure. of year for a lot of people. It really is. Um, you know, I was um, – I didn't know I'd been on this show that many times. I went back through your archives and found <laughs> what I thought was the last time, and it was like four or five years ago – and Robert, you were such a little puppy. You were a little HIV puppy, <laughs> you know, getting the show, getting the show going. And, um, and, uh, and my work with uh, my fabulous disease and all of that, it was very different. I listened to myself talking about it then, and it's very different than, uh, you know, than the way I view it today. Yeah, the, the first time we had you on was in 2009. You came back in 2010. Um, you were back oh in my 2013. Gosh. And, yeah, in 2013, you hosted a show with me. Uh, we did a show of Hot Topics. And then on uh, December World AIDS Day, uh, 2013, uh, you were the guest on the show that day as well. Cool. Yes, you've definitely, you've definitely <laughs> okay. have, have made your mark. <laughs> That's great. Well, it it's, it's, it's always a pleasure. I, 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 I am so supportive of what you're doing. And I'm glad to see this coming back again. You're, you're doing the show again. Yes, well, I owe it to people like you, and exactly, and and it's and it's honestly people like Aaron and and Scott Kramer and you, people who are still doing it, who have reached out to me over the time, you know, saying, "Hey, what's going on? Are you coming back?" And so I'm excited to be back, and I'm excited to have you back. I feel like uh, feel like we never stop talking to each other. You know, I feel like the last time I saw you was probably I want to say positive living. It's been years. 
It's been years. I you remember on Facebook. You remember? You're all grown up. You know, you're all <laughs> you grown remember? up. I think you have facial hair now. <laughs> I do. It took what? me a few years to grow it, but I do have it. Well, there you go. That's what I'm saying. Do, do you remember our photo and, shoot uh, that we had in Philadelphia bathroom? <laughs> well, it was in a bathroom. Yes. Um, that's when I knew that you were, to- you were totally a soul sister of mine because we were at, s- at some event in Philadelphia. We went into the ren- men's room and it was very art deco, black and white. And right. I, I couldn't stand it. It was just so perfect. And I got out my camera and we did a quick photo shoot of you because you were wearing black and white, um, yeah. against the black and white tiles. I think you're like, you know, sitting down on the floor of a public bathroom, getting your picture taken. <laughs> it was probably not the first time, but. It was more artistic, probably, <laughs> this time. Yes, it definitely was. It was one of my favorite photos. It was actually the e-patients conference in Philly. Oh, yes, you're right. It sure was. It sure was. Yeah, that was a good time. So, but that's when we met Olivia Ford. Oh, uh, Olivia Ford. She's, you know, a great human being and a good friend. Yeah. It, it makes me feel old thinking about how long ago that was and how long, you know, a lot of us have been around doing work like this. I, um, in a couple of weeks, I'll be speaking at a conference in Fort Lauderdale for seniors living with HIV. And I'm like their keynote speaker. And I'm, (laughs) and and I I guess I should be, you know, uh, honored. Of course I am honored, but it's like, I'm getting into this, I'm getting into this period now where, um, you know, you're getting kudos for still being walking and talking after 32 years with HIV or, or because you're getting to a certain age, you know, I'm 56 years old and that's not, that's not old at all. I'm probably a little young for this conference. That's what I think. I'm a little young, um, to speak there, but I'm <laughs> happy to do it. And it, it's, it's interesting to me because we're, I, I'm getting to an age where I have all of the same uh, complaints as all the normal people out there that do not have HIV who are just aging, you know, uh, organically as it were without anything in their system, you know, running amok. And, um, and I'm just cobbled together with HIV meds and facial fillers and testosterone and Viagra. That's how I get by, you know, I'm just throwing everything in my body. I can to keep things moving and to feel healthy and alive and vital. But it's, an, you know, it gets more complicated by the year. Mark, Are you following I, this at all? You cannot relate I, to this I at all. I agree. I, uh, I was telling Robert, I don't know how much you've heard before you came on, the, uh, for the first time since I was diagnosed, my, my viral load is unstable and my CD4 count tanked. Um, went from you know, 1,200 down into 700. And, you know, I really, that that can be a huge psychological blow. Um, and then dealing with hip issues and bone issues and, uh, and other things from, from drug regimens and things like that. But it's really got me thinking this week about our, our friend Josh uh, Kruger, who is there in uh, Philly, I believe, as well. He tweeted mm-hmm. out yesterday, um, something that I, I, I want to get your feedback on because I've been kind of thinking about this for a while, and especially as we start talking about, you know, healthcare, there's a lot of uncertainty centered around healthcare and, and people Absolutely. with HIV uh, will be impacted the most. Do you feel like uh, there's enough space given to people who are living with HIV um, in, in today's in a society, because uh, the, the tweet that he sent out, uh, I have mixed feelings. My, my, my husband is on PrEP, but he said, I, I sometimes wish as, as much focus was given on PrEP, was given, and I'm paraphrasing, but is given to ensure that all people have access to antiretroviral therapy. <laughs> what are your thoughts on that? Um, I, you know, it's not a contest. I start right there, you know, because we do have a tendency of, 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 of um, falling into camps, you know, camps of thought and camps of who's got what and who's positive, who's negative. You know, start there. That's the, where the hierarchy begins is who's positive and who's negative, the way that we separate ourselves. And, and, and then within that, 
you know, who's, who's positive but undetectable or not, and who's negative but on PrEP. And so now there are so many qualifications. It's, um, uh, they're all great tools. They're all, you know, I, I'm Switzerland. I, I try not to, I, I try to promote and lift up everyone's journey and everyone's own strategy for maintaining um, this epidemic or, or preventing new infections. And so now I think that in terms of your question, um, that it's probably, um, I don't believe it would be accurate to say that um, PrEP is getting more attention. It is the new kid on the block. It's a new story. And so news outlets and people like that tend to focus on what's new, of course. But when you look at the actual amount of prescriptions written for PrEP compared to, for instance, prescriptions written for people living with HIV and the um, outreach that's being done through pharmaceutical advertising, through outreach from community-based organizations saying, know your status, get on treatment. Um, I don't think there's any comparison between the uh, focus on get tested, get treated versus get on PrEP. For that matter, the PrEP advocates, they don't have the pharmaceuticals on their side because the pharmaceuticals that created, you know, Truvada for PrEP, of course, um, which they didn't even participate in the creation of, um, aren't really putting a lot. They're putting some money now into, into community-based organizations um, helping them promote PrEP, but they don't do it themselves. As opposed to open up any HIV magazine and you'll see pages and pages of articles, I mean, advertisements for a drug to treat HIV. They want you on treatment. Um, that is their thing. They are treatment oriented in terms of the vast amount of advertising and stuff. Yes, it's a big conversation. PrEP is, and it should be. Um, uh, <clears throat> still, people don't understand it. I still go speak to places that include young gay men, and they've never heard that there was a pill available to them. So um, I say we need, we need you know, it's funny, it's like people get into this either or thing about, you know, whether, and, and we forget that we were losing the HIV battle, fighting it one drug at a time. Let's try AZT. Oh, that doesn't work. Let's try D4T. Oh, that doesn't work. Let's try DDI one at a time. It wasn't until the mid-90s when protease inhibitors came out which alone would not have made the difference. What they finally had the bright idea to do was to say, we need to do multiple drugs. We're going to do protease inhibitors plus these other drugs. And together, that's what turned the corner and stopped a lot of the death and dying. Well, I apply that to everything now. <clears throat> Why have one treatment strategy? Why just talk about PrEP when you could be talking about treatment as prevention? We can talk about condoms when you can talk about zero positioning, whether you top, whether you bottom, all these things that you can do to mitigate your risk. Um, that is combination prevention, just like we now have combination therapies. That makes, yeah, that makes total sense. It, it, it gets me thinking, because you've written a lot about these things. What is What was your favorite story or most compelling story? We're working on a lot of stuff, but what was, of 2016, what was one of the stories that you, maybe you had the best response from or that you had the, the most fun working or, or just was thought-provoking for you in 2016? You know, there's been a lot, and it's funny, um, excuse me, when I was listening to that earlier interview with uh, Robert from years ago, um, I was really focused on telling my own story as a guy living with HIV and trying to prevent, present this image as this fun-loving, funny guy with HIV. Because I, I thought that, that was a, a, um, a viewpoint we weren't seeing very much of. And so I wanted that to be kind of my niche. And I think what's happened to me over the years is I've stopped doing that so much. I still write from my point of view, but I like putting the focus on other people and um, highlighting advocacy issues or organizations of people who aren't me. Um, but telling it in my voice, you know, and I think that that's been just a part of my own maturity, but, but also because I, I, you can't, you can't run a blog just on you, you know, it, it, it's, you've got to, 
you know, include other people. And it's been um, really a healthy thing for me. And so the things that I've written in the last year that I've really gotten the most feedback on and that were personally uh, would be for sure the one on, uh, I wrote a story called uh, The Man Who Buried Them Remembers. And it was about a man uh, who is executive director here in Baltimore of a food bank that delivers meals to people with AIDS. And in his previous life, what his staff did not know about him, aren't very aware of, is that he was a Catholic priest here in Baltimore. And he worked for the, a Catholic mission. And he worked with the homeless. And in the mid-80s, he started having guys show up to his homeless shelter with lesions. You know, they were dying of AIDS and they didn't know what it was. And these weren't, and these were people that were homeless to begin with. And he, they started to ask him, he would perform their funerals. Um, they had to be buried. They wouldn't be cremated because no funeral home in Baltimore would cremate them because they were afraid of poison smoke coming from the crematorium. So they had to be buried, wooden box, in a cemetery that was way out in the middle of nowhere. They completely, you know, not a fancy part of the cemetery. And he would, and as soon as he did one, one of the one of the other homeless people would hear about it, and they would ask him, and he would, and and he would try every time. He would try to contact family or something just to see, and and the homeless said, no, please don't do that. They didn't want that, or they said, we've tried, and they don't want anything to do with me. And and the image that I can't get out of my mind is is his describing to me standing in a completely deserted graveyard. Um, performing, performing a burial service by himself with no one there. And he's in his robes and he's wearing his garments and he's got open his book and he is speaking out loud to no one. And he is telling the departed to let go and to forgive. And he then asks to no one in particular, does anyone have something to say? Does anyone have something they want to forgive? And it's just the trees and the winds and the grass. And the image of him doing that, I just couldn't get out of my head. And, and, I, and so I wrote this story and I just explained it. And um, he teared up several times as I was sitting there talking to him, telling me this, because he kept saying, nobody asks me about this. I, I, I haven't talked about this in so many years. Um, and so he was willing to do it, but it was very hard for him to talk about. It was painful. And, um, he, uh, I remember ending that piece with the fact that he would once a month, uh, insist on doing deliveries himself to a lot of their clients and, um, that his staff didn't know why that was so important for him to do. But then when he came back, he always had tears in his eyes. And it was, uh, it was about him remembering and doing service for the kind of people that he used to do service for when he was burying them. So anyway, that's a long story, um, but it was my favorite piece of the year uh, it, uh, because um, it said so much about the grace of people uh, in really tough times. And, and the fact that we have these people among us so many of us that have backgrounds like that. And today we're just getting on with our lives and he's director of a food service place and they do serve people with AIDS, but everybody sees him as this, you know, um, you know, former priest. That's a great guy that, you know, works at this agency and they have no idea, you know, there's so many stories that we all have that, that uh, people may not have any idea that shape us. Wow. Hmm. That's incredible. I would love for you to powerful. share that on the Yeah, Mark, if you could share that link uh, on our page, I would love to share that with people. Um, and I would actually like to check that out myself. Um, you know, like, sure. like Aaron was saying, that's powerful. 
Oh yeah, yeah, so, absolutely. So, so one one of the things I noticed uh, over the last time that we've been off the last two years is that um, you got married. Um, I saw a beautiful proposal yeah. photo taken in Pennsylvania. <laughs> um, and yes. uh, tell me a little bit about how is that for you? Um, it's wonderful. Um, I'm. <laughs> it's uh it's you know basically i finally got to an age where i was um uh, willing to be a good partner you know it's not like he was the first (laughs) partner i've had um but i was always uh irresponsible or young at heart or uh immature or a drug addict and uh none of those were a great mix for some lovely men that have come and gone in my life and um fortunately i was just ready to um, get my shit together and and be a loving partner in the way that I should. So Michael and I met at the International AIDS Conference in 2012 in D.C. And we met at a mixer. And um, he worked on Obamacare. And um, uh, and so you know we just we just hit it off and it's and it's been great and it's uh, it's. Um, I, I don't know what to say about it other than I, I, I think I've figured out that you're doing something right if you're honestly as concerned about their happiness as, as your own. And I'm afraid that that wasn't uh, always the case with me before. You know, keeping Michael happy is uh, important to me and, uh, uh, and not what he can do for me. And, um, right. and that's been it. <laughs> that's been a change. I'm a, I'm, a, oh, I'm, awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm congratulations. Afraid, you know, but I'm happy about it. No, oh, well, congratulations. Thank you. Okay, so awesome. you, can it's I awesome tell you something too. that I haven't told anybody yeah. publicly, but that sure. I'm that it's very much on my mind, and I was afraid to mention it because I didn't want to jinx it, but I'm going to tell you anyway. I, I'm going to go to New York tomorrow, and um, <clears throat> right about lunchtime, I'm going to. Um, walk into the apartment of Larry Kramer and sit down with him and do an interview. I have never wow. had the pleasure of meeting him before, which, I mean, I've been doing this work for a long time, but in kind of different geographic areas and different circles. And um, we do have a lot of mutual friends, but I've, I've never met him or communicated with him at all. And, uh, I will do that tomorrow. It's part of a story I'm writing for Paz Magazine about his kind of reunion with gay men's health crisis. You know, he most he famously was kicked out of GMHC in the early days. It's, it's all in a normal heart how they got tired of his shenanigans and kicked him out, kicked him off the board. And it was very hurtful to him and a very, you know, painful memory. And, uh, a year or so ago, GMHC honored him with an, an award at their big gala, and he came. And it was the first thing he'd done for GMHC in like 30 years. And I was really, that really captured my imagination. Why did he choose to do that? And what was, and it was really about his relationship with their new executive director, who he really admired. And if Larry Kramer admires you, <laughs> that's pretty special. And so I wanted to know more about that. So there, the story is about Larry and Kelsey Louie, who is the director of GMHC, and how this all came about, um, how this reunion of Larry and GMHC came about. But of course, I, and I will ask those questions and get that information, but I have a thousand other questions, you know, for Larry that I would, that I would love to ask if we have time. We'll see. Um, but, but certainly, um, I think one of the things that I'm nervous about is... <clears throat> Larry has said that he doesn't he doesn't even care for the for the phrase living with HIV. He doesn't like anything that would normalize. You know, he wants us to remember that this is a plague and that this is something that needn't have gotten ever had gotten as bad as it is, and that we're all uh, we need to be more aware of that. We need to be fighting back more than we are, and. Meanwhile, you have a guy like me with a blog called My Fabulous Disease, <laughs> you know, who, who is very much about joy, 
you know, and saying, yes, I'm living right. with HIV and I'm, I'm joyful and life is good and all of these things. And, um, and <laughs> so I, um, I don't know if that will come up. <laughs> I don't know if, uh, <laughs> uh, but there, I think I would like to talk to him about, um, about joy and, and where he finds it, you know, um, because certainly this is a well-rounded man that doesn't just stomp around being the angry activist all the time. You know, our mutual friends tell me that he is a, he's a sweetheart and he loves his gay children. So I, I think I'd like uh-huh. to draw out that talk, talk to him about that. Yeah. That sounds like it'll be a really good uh, story. And when that comes out, you'll have to definitely come back on and tell us about it. You said that'll be featured in pause magazine at some point. Yes, it'll be uh, in the June issue of Pause. Now, well, that sounds awesome. We've we've had to reschedule this once already, so um, just saying, all systems are go for right now. So we should be okay, but you know. So so let me let me talk about this one thing. You kind of uh, mentioned it earlier, and it kind of flew by. And in case anybody who missed it or is tuning in late. You, you said that you've been living with HIV for 32 years. That itself yes. is Yes. Um, let's see. This is amazing. Oh, in three days, it'll be 32 years. And, and, 32 uh, years. On Wednesday, it'll be 32 years. So for somebody who's listening who may be newly diagnosed, to hear that somebody like yourself has been alive and thriving and, you know, joyful most of the time for 32 years after being diagnosed, that's incredible inspiration. And, and, you know, you wrote about it in a place like this, your book. Tell us a little bit about how it not began, but kind of like how uh, a little bit how, yeah, kind of how it started for you, like when you were diagnosed and how you kind of decided to write your book. Because what I want to do is I want you to talk a little bit about your book so people can go and buy it for you and read it. Well, okay. It's picture it. West Hollywood, 1985. Um, we know HIV is around. We're all scared shitless. Um, it has just really started to gear up. And they have discovered the virus, but uh, there was no antibody test to test to see if you had the virus yet. The antibody test had just been released. I mean, like literally, let's see, about, by, well, certainly by now, in early March at some point of 85, it became publicly available. So you weren't supposed to take the test because it was politically correct, incorrect to take it. Imagine that. Because there were no drugs, there was no ACT, there was nothing. There was no treatment whatsoever. And the only thing it could lead to is you being disowned by your parents or kicked out by your roommate or fired from your job. So what was the point of of, uh, doing it? On the other hand, what if somebody told you, if you take this test, I can tell you if you're going to be dead within two years. Would you want to know? Well, I did. So I took it. I, I went to a, a friend of mine with a nurse who worked in a doctor's office, and I went in there after hours so it wouldn't be on, you know, any medical records. We did this all very secretly. And I uh, took it, and he called me a couple of weeks later and said, you are, uh, you have, are HIV positive, and good luck to you. Um, so that was it. And I tried to pretend like it was no big deal. I tried to just kind of like play invisible, you know, and keep my head down and maybe it won't get me. Um, and, uh, and that, you know, that was a, this, a fairly, uh, you know, somewhat effective uh, defense mechanism for a while, although I was doing a lot of drugs, you know, I, it was my trauma was, showing itself in other ways. You know, I was uh, doing drugs and doing <laughs> lots of Xanax. And, and, and keep in mind, I was also spending a lot of time in emergency rooms and intensive cares with various friends and stuff. And by, uh, shortly thereafter, went to work for an AIDS service organization. So it, all, so it was AIDS all the time, you know. Um, and I think that's where that's where it really became clear to me that my sense of humor and the humor that a lot of us had was, was life sustaining. It was our, it was our escape, you know, 
even at the agency I worked with, every the first Friday of every month, we closed the office at 12 noon, and we all and it was it was mandatory. You had to put down your work, leave the office at 12 noon, and we as a staff would go someplace together. We'd go see a movie, we'd play putt putt, we'd go bowling, we'd have a picnic, something, just to remind ourselves that life was out there and uh, to support support one another. Um, and we did some funny stuff. We, we, we it was, you know, um, it, it's, you, you have to, you have to remember how much, you know, uh, it's, I, I understand today why somebody who is newly diagnosed might have a hard time with it and they may not feel like it's something very funny. And, and of course I, I understand that. Sooner or later, like anything else in life, you're going to find a way to process it. And the way I process things a lot of times is through a sense of humor. I I, I got to have my joy. I have to have my joy. So so that's carried me a long way. I didn't end up getting sick. I've never had an AIDS diagnosis because my T cells never fell so low, and I never got pneumonia or anything. I was just you know pure luck, no rhyme or reason to these things. And, um, and here I, here I am, um, here I am. I think that if somebody's diagnosed now, they probably, uh, I always say, give yourself time to freak out. Everybody's going to tell you, oh, don't worry. You know, there's so many good drugs and everything will be fine. And that all may be true, but it's still a, a major life event. And, and you you should have all the time you need to freak out about it and you need to get to work and learn in which you can and stand up for yourself and be a good, be a good patient. <laughs> well, there you have it. Let's go you ahead know? and move over to a positive message from uh, Rise Up to HIV and Kevin Maloney and we'll be right back. I actually want to uh, ask uh, Aaron will be back uh, when we come back, so give me a second. Hi, my name is Bruce. I'm from Brooklyn. I was diagnosed with HIV in 2003, and I became undetectable in 2010. My positive message is that this is an incredibly exciting time to be living with HIV because we know now that we have treatment that not only protects us, protects our health and, and enables us to live long, healthy lives, but it, it protects our partners from getting HIV. We cannot transmit HIV when we're undetectable. Um, so I guess the message is, is if you're considering treatment or you're on treatment, please understand that if you take your meds and stay undetectable, you won't transmit HIV, you'll stay uninfectious. It's very exciting, we can have sex and intimacy and, and babies with our partners without fear, without shame, and without stigma. Mark, this is uh, again. Um, I, I guess where I am, um, and I'd like to get your, your kind of point of view, is, uh, you know, act up, really over the years has changed um, in response to the community. Where we are now, uh, do, you, do you see HIV activism as, you know, branching out into more social justice issues? Um, you know, I see a lot of, uh, you know, activists like J.D. Waters from The Body, uh, uh, Peter Staley, uh, others uh, really talking about everything from, you know, affordable care going away to other social justice issues. Do you think that is going to be the next, you know, five years of activism of not specifically focusing on HIV and AIDS issues, but just social justice issues in, in a more general sense? Good Mark, are you there? Um, ACT UP itself. You know, look what it's uh, done for ACT UP in terms of the new energy into it. And actually, I think it's very clever. Because rather than us becoming this monolithic, one-trick pony, one-note uh, cause, HIV, AIDS, we're, 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 we are banding together with others with like-minded who want health care for all Americans, who you know, are fighting racism or sexism. And remember, HIV is about all of those things. You know, HIV is about health care. It's about politics. It's about sex. It's about religion. 
you know, it's, you know, that's what's always been so fascinating about AIDS is that it's got it's every bit of baggage you could throw at something it has. So by, by banding together with the Trump resistance, you know, rise and resist, uh, uh, that allows us to to join forces and show people what we've learned because a lot of this uh, a lot of the resistance and the protests the Trump stuff is very much uh, influenced by the early work of ACT UP in terms of the theatrics of it you know the street theater aspect of it is uh, very reminiscent of early ACT UP and we're not I don't believe we're diluting our own message I think that what we're I, I think that by advocating for better health care, by advocating for don't take away the Affordable Care Act, um, you know, continue to provide education, condoms, Planned Parenthood, those are all things that have a direct impact on HIV, people living with HIV, on those who are trying to prevent from getting HIV. So uh, I, I think it's great. I think that it's been terrific for our movement, and it has been a terrific shot in the arm to activists out there who are who are trying to make a difference. And I think that we've wooed a lot of people back. Of course, we see it all the time anyway. You look at all these town hall forums, you know, we didn't have anything to do with that. You know, this is, this is an outrage on so many levels and, uh, you know, on multiple levels. And that's why all these people are coming out. Um, but that energy has really helped feed, um, you know, the, the, uh, the activities of activist groups like ACT UP. Yeah, I totally agree with you. We actually have a caller on the whole on the line, so let's go ahead and take area code 615 here on the air. Who's this? This is Josh Robbins. I have never called in Mark King, but I had to call in today. <laughs> <laughs> I have a Hi, question. Josh. How are you doing, buddy? I'm really great, thank you. Yeah. Uh, congratulations on your um, your uh, GLAD award nomination. Oh, that's so passive aggressive of you, Josh Robbins. You know, you're <laughs> only congratulating me because you were also yeah. nominated this year. Oh, oh what? I would have to mention that. Oh, I forgot. Um, you know how it is. I, so, what you were just talking about is actually um, what I was calling about this outrage that sometimes the community feels. I wanted to get your opinion um, because it it in the past I don't know half a year, maybe maybe even a full year. I feel like that I've had to like raise my voice a little bit or uh, toward like the patient advocacy organizations or the ASOs. And so how do we, like at what point, um, because I feel like that, for example, the U equals U um, campaign, I think that, that, that the success from all of these organizations kind of signing on is because independent activists have started calling people out, right, and doing other great work, not just calling people out, but explaining it to organizations. But at what point, the question is, at what point um, uh, do, like, how do we continue to to press uh, these organizations to keep going further uh, with other issues like uh, criminalization without going too far? Uh, like, at what point, uh, Mark? And you've done this, I think, uh, several times. Like, where is that that middle line of being a great activist and pushing organizations forward, but also not like putting yourself in a corner that no one wants to pay attention anymore. And that's it. Well, you know, um, thanks, Josh. You know, um, I feel as if we have lost basic community-based organizations that were built by us, people living with HIV and our allies, um, back in the 80s. We, we have lost them as primary vehicles for advocacy. They have now become federally funded uh, health organizations, you know, or, um, you know, clinics and community clinics that are now serving a wide variety of people beyond HIV, which is great for them. But those same organizations 20 years ago, 25 years ago, would have been marching in the streets with us because they were created out of uh, anger and desperation and need. Now they are you know, uh, FQHCs, you know, they're federally, federally funded uh, community uh, clinics and 
they have uh, other things on their mind, such as just providing those services to all of these people. I don't think that we, I've given up on expecting most all of those agencies to do that work for us. In other words, our own community-based agency here in Baltimore, Chase Brexton was founded as an STD clinic for gay men 35 years ago. Then it became an AIDS agency. And, and we're always proactive in the front lines, you know, doing, you know, this kind of advocacy. Uh, not anymore. Now they serve a very large community, a, a minority of which are gay or living with HIV. You don't see them on the street. You don't, you don't see them sending out emails uh, outraged by what's going on uh, in terms of the treatment of people living with HIV. That's just not on the radar anymore. And I, you know, times change, things change, and that's not something that I think we're going to be able to regain. There, there are exceptions. GMHC is more politically involved and more likely to do things like that than other people. Um, and uh, so it's AIDS Project Los Angeles. But a lot of the mid-sized city agencies have now become this, uh, this different animal. And so we're going to have to rely on new things like you equals you, you know, the prevention access campaign has been a terrific example of that. And the work that you, Josh and um, Bruce, uh, my fantasy boyfriend has done to promote this message. It, those are the sorts of things because I don't think we're going to see it just like, you know, you're explaining, you had to knock on doors and badger these agencies to come on board something that they thought was so provocative uh, when actually it's, it's not, but maybe by having done this and opened those doors, it'll be a little easier the next time we have an issue like that. I just don't think that we're that the people that we had historically counted on, we can count on anymore. Hello. Uh, yeah, no, I was just about to hang up. Yeah, I, I agree completely, but I just don't know where that line is. You know, like when if you go up against a, a organization, like at, at what point do you you don't want to call them out too much um, as an activist, um, except that you want to call them out. <laughs> oh yeah, um, because you you got to get that attention, and so and maybe there there's well, um, it's just a line that I that I. Um, you know, that I've just come into contact with a lot more recently than I ever had before in, you know, my five years of advocacy. So, um, yeah. Well, you know, if you're able to do it, because a lot of people aren't, if you're in the position to do it, you should do it. I spent a lot of time writing about Chase Brexton this past year and hammering them over this terrible uh, thing they did. They fired a bunch of um, HIV physicians and people working with the transgender population. Uh, as a way of intimidating their employees over joining a union. There was some union organizing going on, and they wanted to freak out their staff, so they fired five managers for no reason at all, just to show their power. And it was a horrible thing to do. These managers specialized in HIV care and transgender issues, um, had no reason to be fired except for this. And, it and I was writing about it, and we were protesting in front of their building, um, and processing at their events and letting people know. And then they had the actual vote and it had backfired so badly that the union passed at 80%. And then the executive director resigned. So I feel like that was good old, you know, kind of 80 style activism that we did there uh, between uh, writing editorials and being on the streets. And I'm still a patient there. I go marching through that. I go marching through that hallway with my head held high, you know, um, because I feel as if I was, I was, I was doing something righteous. So I, I don't know that I have any limits, <laughs> you know. Um, uh, at least I haven't seen them yet. Anything that you know, I'll do anything that doesn't harm other people. Right. Well, Mark, we're actually down to the last few seconds, so I just want to thank you for coming on an update and, and people can find more information on your writing and yourself by going to your website and that's marksking.com, correct? Right, or myfabulousdisease.com.
There you have it. Mark, thank you so much. I look forward to seeing you sometime this year at a conference. I sure do, too. Thanks a lot. You're welcome. And for more information on our guests, remember you can go to uh, MarkSKing.com. For more information on us and upcoming shows, pauseimradio.com. Um, Aaron, have a great week. Josh, thanks for calling in and uh, hanging out with us for a little bit. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Pause I Am. You can listen to us each and every Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time as we bring you your weekly dose of hope. Join in the conversation on social media, Pause I Am Radio, and at Aaron Laxton. And while you're on there, check out I'm Still Josh as he brings the HIV scoop of the week. Also, if you've not checked out the positive message campaign from Rise Up to HIV, be sure to do so. For all of you who contribute and make this show possible, thank you so very much. If you think you have a story that needs to be covered or you would like to come on air and talk to Robert and myself, please let us know. We want to bring content that you need and that you want. Be sure to download this episode on iTunes and past episodes. We'd love to hear your feedback. From all of us over here at Paz IM Radio, from Robert Brining and myself, have a safe and healthy week. And until we speak again, stay positive. <laughs>